The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. I'm very glad that you've joined us. We've got a great program for you today. We're going to be talking about detoxing relationships, and I know everybody in recovery is interested in that, everybody I've ever met anyway, myself included. So um, we're we're going to be just uh, delighted and excited to hear all that my guest, um, Mark has to share with us, Mark Sanders, and um, it's going to be a great program. So I want to thank you um, for listening, and I thank you for liking our Spirit of Recovery Facebook page. Thank you for making comments on there, and thank you for sharing that information with the people in your community. Thank you for letting uh, your people in your recovery community and your unity community and your, your family, your friends, the other people in your spiritual communities know about us here on Unity Online Radio. Org. And um, it's just great to know that what we're doing is making a difference in your life and is giving you new ideas and expanding your understanding and depth in your recovery. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. Their guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and sometimes all of the above. And our guests are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know, you can listen to us in a variety of ways. You can listen, obviously, via your computer or your smart device live. You can go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. You can listen on demand. We've got lots of great archives. And you can just go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery and uh, find years worth of wonderful programs on there. Also, if you enjoy Spirit of Recovery and also the other great programs on UnityOnlineRadio.org, you can financially support this nonprofit radio station if you would like to. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone and you can make a one-time or an ongoing financial contribution. And it is great. It keeps us all on the airwaves. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, and if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, um, you're welcome. If you're a family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, you're welcome. Maybe as a family member or friend, you may be in your own recovery as a family member or friend, because addiction is a family disease, and there's recovery for family members, too, as family members and friends. Um, Or maybe you're just somebody that's interested, curious about the process of recovery, you are welcome. Wherever you are what, what in your life, whatever you're up to, we're glad you're here. You're welcome, and you're welcome to send in a question or a comment via email or the phone, 
and uh, for my guest related to our topic today. And um, we're just glad that you're here, glad that you are listening, and glad that you're participating if you choose to do that. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I am a unity minister and an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And about 34 years ago, those relationships were catalysts that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development as a family member and friend. And ever since that time, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles. And that walk keeps richly transforming my life in deeper and deeper ways. I am delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you about spirituality and recovery to bring you great guests who are just doing such great work and um, sharing great ideas with you. Today, as I said earlier, our topic is relationship detox, healthy relationships in recovery. You know, uh, getting into recovery brings the opportunity to learn new perspectives, new skills, and to engage deeply in healing old emotional wounds and patterns, and that usually involves relationships. So in the process of recovery, short-term, long-term, whatever, Um, Your engagement is in the recovery process, or again, you're just curiosity about it. It means that healthy, uplifting relationships are not only possible, but they are probable in the recovery process. My special guest today is Mark Sanders. He's a licensed social worker and also a licensed um, chemical dependency counselor. And he uh, has wide experience in the field of recovery. He's going to share with us today how to detox Oldest from old destructive patterns and build new positive ways of relating in with the people in our lives. Mark is an international speaker in the behavioral health field. He has made presentations to thousands of people throughout the United States, Europe, Canada, and the Caribbean islands. He's the co-author of Recovery Management with William White and Ernie Kurtz, who are two people that are um, very prolific authors in uh, the recovery and the counseling field. And Mark is also the author of Relationship Detox, How to Have Healthy Relationships in Recovery. He's the editor of Substance Use Disorders in African American Communities, and he's also the author of Counseling Chemically Dependent African American Women. He also uh, was at one point the director of the very first Southeast Asian and Refugee Addiction Counselor Training Program in the world. And we'll spend some time today, um, in addition to talking about relationships, to talking about the intercultural and cross-cultural aspects of recovery, because that is so important to understand understand that uh, recovery is across all cultures, and it's uh, fascinating, interesting to learn how that works. And Mark has also had two stories published in the New York Times best-selling book series, Chicken Soup for the Soul. He's a lecturer at the University of Chicago. And you can learn more about his work at his uh, website. It's onthemarkconsulting25.com. So, Mark, Sanders, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you very much, uh, Reverend Anna. Very glad that you're here with us. And um, if you would, Mark, just to start off, tell us a little bit about, obviously you've got such wide experience um, as a professional in the recovery field, and uh, it sounds like at this point one of your uh, main interests is the idea of relationships in recovery. Why is that important? Yes, because uh, first I've learned over the years, having done the work in uh, recovery for over 30 years, that a large percentage of the clients I've worked with, uh, when they take a good look at their research, often their relapse, I'm sorry, it often has a lot to do with matters of the heart. A uh, significant other uh, left them, no longer wants to be in relationship with them, or the client that I work with went to a rehab program, got into recovery, they went back home, and their spouse's mindset is, I did not marry a sober person. I married someone who was intoxicated. So they feel like they're married to a stranger. So that would be one of the impetuses. Another is that I'm working with adolescents as we speak, adolescent males uh, who smoke marijuana on a regular basis, and each one of them um, have told me stories about a girl that broke their heart when they were 12, 13, 14 years old, and that sort of triggered like five years of of daily marijuana smokers. So relationships are on my mind in terms of recovery for those reasons. But also personally, I'm, a, I'm an adult child of chemically dependent parents. My father 
died smoking crack cocaine, and both of my grandfathers were alcoholic, and my mother suffered from what I call father hunger. It basically mm-hmm. means that as a girl growing up, she didn't get enough fathering, and so she yearned for fathering and uh, was really intense in relationships because she did not get enough fathering. So when I was seven years old, my mother was spending the whole day with her uh, new boyfriend after she and my father divorced, and she left me in the care of my grandfather, who was chronic, really progressive in his alcoholism. You could smell alcohol coming out of his pores. And I remember tripping, and I cut my, uh, my eyebrow, above my eyebrow, and I was bleeding, and I needed some help. And I went in his room, and I tried to wake him up. But I couldn't because he was under anesthesia, meaning my grandfather was drunk. So after about 20 minutes of trying to wake him up, I found the, I found the gauze, the tape, and the Band-Aids, and I doctored myself up. And I remember saying to myself at seven years old, if I'm going to depend upon anybody for the rest of my life, it's going to be me. I'm the only one that I could depend upon. So my story, in many ways, kind of mirrors the experience of many of my clients having grown up in households where there was addiction and they felt this sense of uh, aloneness, a sense of abandonment, and then there were chemicals. And then as they began to try to get sober, uh, what do you replace a chemical addiction with? Relationships with other human beings. Uh, and if you don't have practice building those relationships, and chances are there will be some difficulty establishing healthy relationships and recovery. Also as a part of my work, I have had some individuals I've worked with who have been sober for five years or longer, which is like long-term recovery. And they would seek therapy, and their primary um, statement to me was, I don't need you to help me get sober. I, I go to NA, I go to AA, etc. I need you to help me figure out how is it that I've been sober for five years, I have $50,000 in the bank now, and I have five new cars, and why am I attracted to a person who's only been sober for five minutes? So they're trying to figure out, now, now that I'm in recovery, how do I establish healthy relationships? So that's the backdrop mm-hmm. to my focus on relationships and recovery. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You have certainly hit the nail on the head. And it, what that uh, makes me think about, Mark, is you brought up the adult children of alcoholics. So yes. obviously it sounds like you've worked with that maybe personally and also I'm sure with your clients Tell us some more about that. How does it affect, you already said some things about the abandonment and so forth. Mm-hmm. What kind of patterns do people tend to develop if they've grown up in with parents that were chemically dependent or there can be other, quote, dysfunctions? Or You know, years ago, a woman named Joan Jackson did, did some research on uh, Al-Anon members. And she particularly was interested in, in those individuals who were now members of Al-Anon as adults. Who grew and tell up us what Al-Anon home. is. Yeah, everybody may not know what Al-Anon is. Tell us what that yes, is. Al-Anon is a support group for family members that have a loved one that, that has alcoholism. And they use the same 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, but they focus on uh, themselves. Uh, what members of Al-Anon realize is that they suffer from the same... Um, as the addiction progresses, they begin to have more and more consequences connected to it themselves as a result of enabling, uh, et cetera. And so it's a way of them supporting uh, each other and taking the first step, not for the alcoholic in their life, but for themselves. So that first step being, I'm at powerless over my loved one's addiction and it has made my life unmanageable. And if I am to get back on track, I have to focus on taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. And so Joan Jackson zeroed in on those members of al who had grown up in alcoholic homes and she wanted to know, what do they have in common? So I'd like to share the good news before I share the, 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 the challenges around relationships. The good news is that the great majority of us who grew up in alcoholic homes go on to lead really successful, um, um, productive lives. I think what, it, what happens is when you grow up with alcoholism, it builds a great deal of resilience. So if you look at three or four of our last presidents, uh, our current president, mm-hmm. Barack Obama, his father was alcoholic he became president of the united states i think bill clinton's uh, stepfather had mm-hmm. an addiction he became president uh, george w bush himself was in long-term uh, recovery and ronald reagan's father was a had chronic alcoholism he became president of the united states 
Mm-hmm. So what Joan Jackson discovered uh, that adult children of alcoholics had in common is um, uh, they have the tendency to put the needs of others ahead of their own needs. So if you think about that, that one piece of research, the tendency to put the needs of others ahead of our own needs, that's mm-hmm. a real setup uh, for one-sided relationships. Another piece of data coming out of our research says that adult children of alcoholics are often approval seekers. Uh, and they fear telling the truth, the idea that if I tell the truth, um, um, people may not want to be around me. Her research indicates that adult children of alcoholics often have a tendency towards abandonment. How does that work? If you grew up in a household where there was alcoholism and one of the parents had alcoholism and then the other parent was taking care of, i.e. enabling, the one who has alcoholism, often no one on an emotional level is taking care of the children. So often adult children of alcoholics have issues with abandonment. And often what happens is if you have an issue with abandonment, there's a good chance that you might choose partners who also abandon you, thus proving that you're really unworthy of of loving relationships. And who better to choose? than someone who has active addiction who often is so focused on the addiction, this is prior to recovery, that it's difficult for them to be there for you. But here's, here's her piece of research that, that stands out most for me, Joan Jackson's research. It says that adult children of alcoholics are often loyal, even when there's evidence that the loyalty is undeserved. So they tend to stay on jobs longer than they should. Uh, stay with friends longer than they should, those one-sided friendships, and mm-hmm. stay in relationships with others who are not really uh, involved in, uh, in giving uh, mutually. And where that loyalty comes from is the great many adult children of alcoholics who loved their parents growing up and tended to continue to love them in spite of the fact that their parents may have been emotionally unavailable when they were children growing up. Mm-hmm. However, we make really good social workers and therapists because we develop empathy mm-hmm. as we living with, with, with addiction as children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's a, a pattern that gets set up when, uh, when a child is in a home where there's active uh, disease of addiction happening, kind of that. Yeah. And it's almost like a self-perception. I'm thinking like who, who you are vis-a-vis other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. trying to really, um, you know, trying to really, you know, now some will fit, uh, spend time because the nature of addiction in families, and I know you talked about that addiction being a family disease in your introduction, mm-hmm. is that um, there needs to be a conspiracy of silence, almost like a united front. No one can really tell the truth. In fact, you have to make it look like everything is okay. And so that if you spend years in childhood acting like everything is okay when everything is not okay, if one is not careful, we can lose ourselves. And then as part of our own recovery as, um, as family members, it's about finding the authentic self and learning to love the authentic self. Mm-hmm. So what's the, um, the, the linchpin that sometimes you, you say you had, you, earlier you were talking about you have clients come to you and, and you work with people that are basically saying, I'm having all this, these problems with relationships and I want, to, want that to be different. What's the first thing that you offer them in their quest to to shift how they're relating? A listening ear, Mm -hmm. which really suggests to them that they deserve to be heard in all relationships. Starting counseling sessions on time, which which really affirms that their time is important. And um, accepting them for who they are authentically. You know, some of us grow up, um, uh, what I didn't mention is that there's another uh, characteristic of adult children of alcoholics, as outlined by Joan Jackson, and, and, and that research says that we have a tendency towards perfection. And the way that works is that um, there's a secret nature to addiction in the family, and everybody in the family has to protect the secret. And one way that you can teach children in an alcoholic or addicted home to protect the secret is to push all the children towards perfection. So, for example, in my family growing up, if you brought home eight A's and one B on your report card, they wouldn't say it's wonderful that you got those eight A's. They'd say, why'd you get that B? 
mm-hmm. then you get it that you have to be perfect. So my whole thing is that if you've made mistakes in your life, that I accept you unconditionally for the mistakes that you've made. And what that mirrors is that it's okay to make mistakes. And so that's really the, the, the start of that whole process, and along with being emotionally available. And then something kind of interesting happens with many individuals who I've worked with. Sometimes they decide then they want to try their hand. Uh, in fact, they've come to me because their current relationship has been described by them as being dysfunctional, so they want to try their hand at not being in a relationship for a while. And it's their response to me that uh, helped me to coin the phrase relationship detox. And I define relationship detox as making a decision to not be in a relationship for a while in order to cleanse yourself of the toxic experiences of previous relationships. So in other words, they were in an unhealthy relationship and they would leave the relationship. Then they would come to me a week later and say, I feel like I'm going through withdrawal like as if I've just used a drug and I haven't used a drug in three years. Why do I feel like I'm going to withdraw? And that really taught me that we can be so glued to another person, it's almost like that other person were a drug. And when we're not around them, we can experience something that almost experiences, that almost feels like withdrawal from a chemical. Mm-hmm. Powerful. It's time for our first break. Thank you. My guest is Mark Sanders. He is uh, talking with us about relationship detox, how to have healthy relationships in recovery. Um, he is a world-renowned speaker and author and has wide experience um, as a professional in the field of addiction recovery. You can learn more about him on onthemarkconsulting25.com. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit. Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. 
That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, our topic today is Relationship Detox, Healthy Relationships in Recovery. And my special guest today is Mark Sanders. He's a licensed social worker and a licensed uh, chemical dependency professional. He has been involved in this field for over 30 years as a professional. Um, He is an international speaker in the behavioral health field. He's a prolific author. And um, he is uh, sharing with us great stuff about Relationship Detox. He's the author of the book, Relationship Detox, How to Have Healthy Relationships in Recovery. And he is the author, as the editor of Substance Use Disorders in African American Communities and the author of Counseling Chemically Dependent African American Women. He's had stories published in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. He's a lecturer at the University of Chicago. And you can learn more about his work on his website on the mark, Consulting 25. Before I get back to my conversation with Mark, I invite you to share a moment of uh, brief meditation with me to get in touch with your higher power as you understand it as a loving higher power. I invite you to relax, to be aware of your breath, to feel relaxation as it moves from the crown of your head all the way through your body temple. Allow your mind to open and share with me this constructive idea. I'm filled with love and wisdom. Through that love and wisdom, I create healthy, fulfilling relationships. I am filled with love and wisdom. And through that love and wisdom, I create healthy, fulfilling relationships. And now we take just a moment in the quiet. friends for joining me in the serenity minute and i hope that was an opportunity for you to make conscious contact with your higher power and that um that that that's something that you take on a daily basis is take that quiet time and feel that loving relationship with your higher power and now i'm back to my conversation with my guest mark sanders and we're talking about relationship detox how to have healthy relationships in recovery so, um, Mark, when we were off the air there, I, we were talking a little bit, and you brought up the idea of what it takes to let go of shame. Would you talk? Yeah. And that's your big part of a healthy relationships, letting go of that. Yeah. So, tell so us if about you think that. About it at the at the core of all addiction. Um, I see one or two things at the core of all addiction that triggers all addiction is either childhood abandonment or trauma, or both. So often when I say that in in lectures, someone will stand up and say, I became an addict, my parents were there, and I never debate them because we didn't grow up together. But I say to myself, they were there, but were they there? Because Uh sometimes our folks can be there but not really be there emotionally. If you look at the example I gave earlier, you have one parent that has any addiction, the other one is taking care of the parent that has the addiction who's taking care of their children. I know in my family it was always my older sister who became like a a junior parent, and thus she was cheated out of a childhood. So the tendency is for uh, children who are abandoned to experience what the literature calls toxic shame, where they they blame themselves for having been abandoned. Something must really be wrong with me. Why don't my folks want me? Why won't they spend time with me? Um, from Austin, Texas, there's a, um, a, a doctor of social work named Brene Brown, and she defines shame as the belief that I am unlovable and unworthy of belonging. So we blame ourselves for our abandonment or our traumatic experiences in childhood, and the tendency is to believe that I'm, un- I'm un- unlovable and unworthy of belonging. And if that's true, then that's a real setup 
for problems in relationships later in life. And Brene Brown also goes on to say that you can't heal shame without being willing to be vulnerable. And my interpretation of that is that shame loves to hide in the crevices of the dark. So the minute you start telling your story about the things that you are ashamed of in your life, um, all of a sudden um, it connects you with other people. Those of you on the call who have histories of being involved in 12-step groups know exactly what I mean. You go into a room and you lead with a weakness. You tell them the worst things that ever happened to you in your life, and they give you a hug and say, keep coming back. And that's the opposite of what we experience in, in other circles throughout our lives. So all I'm suggesting here is that as we begin to work towards having healthy relationships, that we begin to have an awareness of the things that's interfering with our ability to have these relationships and be willing to be vulnerable enough to talk about those things. And that might mean for some people in longer-term recovery, it might mean that you start telling the story of how you were, de- how you were deserted by your father or how your mother wasn't emotionally available, and thus that you don't feel like you deserve love. And as you tell that story, um, you begin to heal uh, from that shame. I should also say, uh, Reverend Anna, that I was listening to the affirmation. In your affirmation, uh, you were talking about feeling worthy of uh, love. And, mm-hmm. and, and such affirmations also can be very, very healing where shame is concerned. Mm-hmm. Great. Yep. Thank you. What's, what are some of the characteristics of healthy relationships? You've, you've alluded to it. and what are, what are some more? Talk some more about that. And so there's a number of characteristics of healthy relationships, and one characteristic of a healthy relationship is both individuals are whole. That's W-H-O-L-E. And in order to have wholeness, uh, what's necessary is you must first have a relationship with yourself, and that involves spending time with yourself. And it's amazing how uncomfortable lots of people are just spending time alone, getting to know themselves. I heard a philosopher once say that you can trace all of our difficulties to human beings, to our inability to sit still in a room. And so just getting to know ourselves, taking ourselves to dinner, being kind to ourselves, nice to ourselves, and the funny thing starts to happen, that as we have this love affair with ourselves, we begin to expect that same type of love from other human beings. A second relationship to developing wholeness is um, to establish a relationship with what you call, Reverend Anna, one's higher power. And that's a safeguard, and what it protects us against is that tendency to turn another human being into a God as we enter relationship with them. I imagine many people on the, on the call have known of people or have had this experience yourselves where you become so infatuated with another that they become almost like a God. A third prerequisite to developing wholeness, which prepares you for relationships, romantic, intimate relationships, partnerships, marriage, etc., is healthy friendships. And what that assures is that you won't put all of your energy into one person. And if you have all three of those, now you are ready for a relationship, intimate, romantic, partnership, marriage, etc., with another. A second characteristic of a healthy relationship is that each partner in the relationship is growing and encouraging the other to grow. You've probably seen relationships, those of you on the call, Um, where one person was growing and the other one was not growing, and so they started to unconsciously want to hold the other one back. You know, when two people are growing, the mathematical formula is not 1 plus 1 equals 2. The formula actually is 1 plus 1 equals 3. In other words, when you have two whole people who are growing, the subtotal of both of them together is greater than either one of them if they were by themselves. They each have separate lives outside of the relationship. It's another characteristic of a healthy relationship. There's a, an old saying that, you, that the only way you can live, you can't live with someone unless you know that you can live without them. And the one way that you know that you can live without someone is if you have the ability to spend some time alone. They have separate lives outside of the relationship. They're able to spend time alone. And then another characteristic of a healthy relationship is that there is minimal jealousy. Maya Angelou told Oprah Winfrey that jealousy is like salt on food. 
she said that a little bit of salt spices up the food, but too much salt destroys the food. That jealousy in relationships seems to work the same. I've been married for 30 years, and one of the things my wife told me years ago, I want to say in the fifth year of our marriage, she says that if ever she finds herself getting jealous, that's a sign to her that she needs to get closer to God. Because what jealousy means for her is that she's putting too much emphasis on a person rather than spirituality, her higher power, God. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really wise. It's really wise. So how does uh, being in a 12-step group help people develop those ideas that you're talking about, develop those abilities for healthy relationships? me the most about 12-step groups is, is the fact that you have this close relationships with people who know your life story. Your coworkers know that story. Your family members may not know that story. You tell them all these things about you, and they don't even know your last name. So that in itself promotes a certain amount of empathy. I think Father Martin, one of the first priests to get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, public story, famous story, was quoted as having said that if you gave an alcoholic the 12 steps and said, go in your room and work these steps, very few people will get sober, but it's when we connect with other human beings. So you learn in Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, uh, you begin to learn how to have intimacy, non-sexual intimacy, but intimacy drug-free. The other is in working the steps. Years ago, someone told me that you could summarize the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in six words. Um, trust God, steps one, two, and three. Clean house, where you work on yourself, steps four through 11. Help others, step 12. So somewhere in those steps, four through seven, uh, as you uh, take a, a fearless moral inventory and you make amends to those that you have harmed, somewhere in there in making those amends, you begin to reestablish relationships with, other, with loved ones, parents, uh, friends that, that have not been in your life for years because of the addiction, siblings, etc. So all through that whole process, you are um, building relationships. And then invariably what happens, and I know what happens in Chicago, not sure if it happens in Texas, but for sure in <laughs> Chicago, you start going to 12-step group meetings, and you begin to be attracted to someone. And, and oh, my goodness, it's kind of uncomfortable because this is the first time in a long time that you've had a, a non-chemical re- um, attraction. So now you're starting to get nervous and scared what if it doesn't work but then you have that whole 12-step community to support you so those are my thoughts there right yeah that's good so it sounds like it is about finding ways to to be yourself and to be in in those connections with other people so that the program really helps with that um and, and some people they've uh-huh. really found it helpful that uh whenever they're in a new relationship to make sure that at that time they strengthen their recovery efforts. So if they were going to three meetings a week, sometimes they will stretch it to five, knowing that, like for many, many of us, that relationships are that point of vulnerability. So I want to make sure that I have the support that I need. Others who I've met who have decided that they will continue to go to 12-step group meetings, but they want to combine it with therapy. Because, as I mentioned earlier, at the core of so much addiction is either childhood abandonment or trauma. Mm-hmm. Many of the persons I've worked with have histories of childhood of sexual abuse and neglect, and so now they're thinking about having an intimate relationship, even a sexual relationship, drug-free, and it can be scary because of experiences that they had of, like, uh, a trauma, abuse in childhood. So sometimes they combine therapy with 12-step groups meetings to begin to heal from some of that trauma, which kind of frees them to be able to be, you know, available in relationships in a healthy manner. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I want to go back to something you said about repairing relationships with your loved ones because that's yeah. that can be a real issue and it is. It's it when you do that it helps with relationships you're trying to create. So, how does that work? And we I know that's embedded in the steps of the making amends and so forth, but share your thoughts about that is how you repair relationships with people in your it's life. It's interesting too because years ago I used to have here Father Martin 
talk about that, and you talk about making amends, and sometimes in the process of making those amends, in, in the process of making those amends, you think, well, I'm, I'm disclosing stuff they didn't know, but Father Martin says they always know. Mm-hmm. They always it was connected to alcoholism or cocaine use, et cetera. And then he went on to say that as a part of your recovery, they don't have to accept your amends. You have to make the amends. So that's the important piece right there. Uh, where you don't approach it by saying, I'm going to make the amend if they accepted the amend. It, their acceptance of your amends has nothing to do with you. Whether it, your, your amends is to, so that you can cleanse yourself. And in cleansing yourself, um, then you're able to, to move forward with relationships. Now, it gets interesting. If you take one type of relationship, and by the way, uh, Reverend Anna, one of the things that I do quite frequently is I visit prisons and I talk to inmates in prisons, and it's, it's connected to the mission that we're on now because 75% of those in prison had alcohol and other drugs in their system at the time of the arrest. Mm-hmm. And prisons have become centers for people who have um, addictions. And I suggest to these, I mostly talk to men in prison, is that how important it is not for you to wait until you're released from prison to start making amends. Start making them now. And so we've encouraged some of these men to begin to write letters to their daughters and sons. Those are, that particular type of relationship is the one I'll talk about now, the harm done to one's daughters and sons. And sometimes these men will say to me, my daughter dates nothing but the wrong guys, and it has a lot to do with me. Tell her, even from prison, in a letter, asking for nothing in return, that the best day of my life was the day that you were born. And nothing is wrong with you. Nothing has ever been wrong with you. The problem is that you had a father who had active addiction. I have um, a first cousin whose mother and father were addicted to heroin. And her whole life growing up, she had an awakened nightmare. And her awakened nightmare was that she would put the key in the door and she would see blood everywhere and her mother and father in her mind and her vision while awake would have overdosed off of heroin. And her father, my uncle, who was the first person in our family to ever get sober, um, went to his daughter and, and said what I just said. Nothing is wrong with you. Nothing has ever been wrong with you. The problem was that you had a father that wasn't available because of active addiction. And somehow that affirmation from her father led to a level of productivity that now she has a Ph.D., and she's a university professor. So often you have a father that has an addiction, and his son or his daughter can't really stand to be around him. But then they gradually start to watch. He's changing. He's a different person now. And that relationship that looked like it had no chance of healing, all of a sudden that relationship starts to heal. So what does he need? What does she need? The person in recovery while they're waiting for those relationships to heal. So one thing we know that, that they need their consistency and their behavior now that they're in recovery and time and a level of support for themselves while they try to wait for those relationships to heal after they have made amends. Uh, it's important that when we make amends that we move at the pace of the person who we've harmed. You know, that is the pace by which they're ready to be involved in our lives again. Uh, those kind of things are important. And having some support along the way, like, as they say in the 12-step community, a sponsor or a home group, people who are going to support you through that process. You know, one thing that can happen, it kind of is part of that, while you say as you're waiting for those, maybe your your family members or or friends that waiting for those to heal, that that there may be loneliness or there, you know, there can be loneliness at any time. How does a person in recovery deal with loneliness? That's part of being in relationship, so in a, a sense. There's a, a psychologist named Dr. Pat Love that raises a very interesting question. I was at a conference, and her question was, do you think that loneliness is at the core of addiction? And I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's possible for a person to be in a crowded room where everybody's drinking shots of tequila and feel all alone in the world. And the psychologist went on to say that each of us needs to have three to five people in our lives to have a sense of community. If I could just share with you and your, your listeners 
uh, an experiment I read about not too long ago where they took chimpanzees and they put five things in the cage of these chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. I think we just lost our connection there. We'll get him back. Hello. We are, okay, we're working to get my guest Mark Sanders back. We're having a great discussion here about relationship detox, about having healthy relationships in recovery. Um, Mark has been sharing some wonderful ideas with us about the importance of getting in touch with our true selves and honoring that. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. of all life is the infinite wellspring of source and each of us has a unique way of expressing that source as an individualized soul do you enjoy the company of inspiring people who are living on purpose do you want to live joyfully attuned to your own unique soul expression host reverend Kristen powell welcomes you to join the gathering of souls who live this way You'll meet artists, naturalists, and other soulful expressions that will inspire you to call forth the most alive, passionate version of yourself. Get into the natural stream of your own soul by tuning into Soul Stream live every Wednesday at noon Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us today, we're talking about relationship detox. And my special guest is Mark Sanders, a licensed social worker, uh, professional addictions, uh, professional and counselor, world. class speaker and author and he is sharing with us about uh wow powerful stuff about healthy relationships so before our break mark you were sharing with us about the the chimpanzees and the experiment that been done and that five things that they put in the chimpanzees cage what were they okay. and what happened? here right. they are bananas bananas grapes a solid form of cocaine a solid form of heroin and a solid form of marijuana and what the researchers wanted to discover is what do chimpanzees naturally prefer, given the choice of those five. Bananas is number one, followed by grapes. But the researchers noted that when chimpanzees eat grapes, uh, they're kind of angry because their hands are so large and the grapes are so small. And they tend to leave cocaine, heroin, and marijuana alone. And then the researchers discovered that all you have to do is remove their mother from the cage and then move, remove their father and then take away all of their siblings and then their playmates. And these same chimpanzees that ignored cocaine, heroin, and marijuana, now they're starting to chip on these drugs. Hmm. That we all need community, and community is one of those protective factors against loneliness. Dr. Pat Love says that each of us needs three to five people in our lives to have a sense of community. And those of you on this call know that many times when you're in recovery, 
you become the healthiest person in your family because of all the work you've done on yourself. So what we do to establish community sometimes, we have what's called a family of choice. And these may not be biological relatives, but a group of people, sponsors, friends, people who love us unconditionally, as a protective factor against loneliness, we have community. But also, um, Reverend Anna, you hit it on the head. In all of these calls, I imagine you take a moment to do a meditation. Mm -hmm. And that is significant. Uh, It's interesting that in Alcoholics Anonymous, they don't ask us to meditate until step 11, but yet they recognize the importance of meditation because what it does is it, 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 it does for us what, what the philosopher says, that what lies behind us and, and what lies ahead of us is nothing compared to what lies within us. It gets us in touch with our inner world, and there's always a place to go to seek peace should we feel alone in the world. Then there's that getting closer to our higher power where we feel that you know, you know, God, is, you know God is for us. And then, as the, the, the 12-step slogan goes, um, Every, every feeling has a, a middle, a beginning, and an end, and this too shall pass. Loneliness, which leads to lots of relapses, is but a feeling that won't linger forever. It won't stay there forever. This too shall pass. And then we reach the point where we ask ourselves when we're feeling lonely, what do I need to do right now? Do I need to meditate? Do I need to pray? Do I need to reach out to another person, uh, etc.? Right. Well, a lot about about the the just the rock bottom importance of making those connections and making relationship with ourselves and with higher power and with other people. Yes, that's, that's the bottom line. Let me ask you: You have had intercultural uh, professional experience. You started the first, the director of the first Southeast Asian and Refugee Addiction Counselor Training Program in the world, and yes. you've written extensively on recovery in the African American community. Yes. Tell us what's the same and what's different across cultures. Yeah, what, in terms what, of what's the same is that um, I've once heard someone say that addiction is an equal opportunity employer. <laughs> mm-hmm. It affects butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers. Uh, what's different is is the cultural context in which it emerges. If I can give you an example, so I started that refugee addiction council training program, and sometimes people ask me, "What is the difference between an immigrant?" And a refugee. And of course, an immigrant is someone that's coming to a new land seeking something opportunity, prosperity, etc. A refugee is someone who's escaping something trauma, a tornado, an earthquake, a war. So the hint is, is that refugees often come to a new land already traumatized. And we talked earlier about that relationship between trauma and substance use. Uh, your radio show talks about the the link between spirituality and addiction. Mm-hmm. And I had to tell you, uh, Reverend Anna, and all the thirty years I've been doing this work, uh, if my in my definition of spirituality is 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 is, is the word connectedness. Mm-hmm. And nowhere have I felt more connected than working with people from different backgrounds, cultural backgrounds. Our lives would not come together if it were not for active addiction. So. We do interesting things, like I've worked with Southeast Asian refugees. And for years, men would come here, um, um, having lost their culture and having been traumatized, vulnerable to heavy drinking. We would take these men and we would put them in, um, AA, put them in detox, and then we would send them to AA. That was the pattern, detoxification followed by AA. And none of the men got sober. And then I remember what Einstein said, that insanity was doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So we took a man who was Cambodian and put him in detox, and then we connected him with a Cambodian monk, and he reconnected to his culture. Mm-hmm. And as a result of reconnecting to his culture, he was able to start a recovery group, support group of his own, with other Cambodians speaking their native language. And so I've had those kind of experiences. Um, on one such journey, and working with the Laotian, Cambodian, and Vietnamese communities, refugee communities, mm-hmm. uh, we needed a speaker for a conference we were having. And I heard about a group of Canadian Indians called the Alkali Lake Tribe in British Columbia, Canada. And this is a Canadian Indian tribe 
that went from 100% alcoholism to 95% recovery. Your listeners are probably wondering, how was it possible for everyone in the tribe to be an alcoholic, including the babies? The answer is simple. The mothers drank during pregnancy, and the babies came out experiencing withdrawal. And basically, the way they were able to achieve 95% recovery, your listeners will appreciate this. They came to America and learned about the system of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they brought Alcoholics Anonymous to their tribe. And then they went in the mountains and found a medicine man. Um, and their, their goal was to get the medicine man to reteach them their culture, which was lost as a result of 40 years of heavy drinking. And Alcoholics Anonymous plus the medicine man equaled 95% recovery rate. It's the greatest story never told. And I understand they're still maintaining those high recovery rates as well. Mm-hmm. Now, the work that I've done in African-American communities, what I can tell you is that 1986 was the year that crack cocaine replaced marijuana as the number one street drug. And while crack cocaine hit Af- many communities hard, it really hit African-American communities hard. That was the same time that managed care came in and inpatient treatment programs for addiction closed across this country. What I can tell you happened is that churches all over the country in African-American communities emerged to provide, start providing recovery support for African-Americans where treatment had disappeared. They started opening these sort of faith-based drug ministries. Uh, one of the more um, uh, famous ones is at Glide Memorial Church in San Francisco. Some of your listeners might have seen the movie The Pursuit of Happiness starring Will Smith. That church has a, has a really progressive drug ministry where on any given Sunday there are 2,000 people who attend a church service and approximately 1,600 of those um, parishioners may be in recovery. So every Sunday they have a revival for recovery. You might know that at Saddleback Church in Colorado uh, they have um, a program that's called Celebrate Recovery where people are getting faith-based Christian type of support for any addiction that they may have. So that's what I'm beginning to see in those areas, where communities and cultures are rising up and sprinkling culture with what we know about 12-step recovery and traditional addictions treatment. Right. Yeah, that is fabulous. And again, back to your, your whole focus, your theme there of connection connection to some core identity in in lots of in lots of ways we're at the close of our time here on the on spirit of recovery but mark sanders i want to thank you so much for you're all welcome. that you've shared with us yeah and thank you so much for the work thank that you you're very doing. much thank you for yeah. the work that you do you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. And um, just listeners, again, you can learn more about Mark Sanders. Go on his website at onthemarkconsulting25.com. So, um, wow, it's all about connection. Yeah. It's all about connection. Yep. So, everybody, thanks for listening today. Have a wonderful week. Be blessed. Stay connected. And uh, we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Every moment we live can be holy, and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so. Everything we do can be a prayer, and by using our innate creativity with intention, in every aspect of our lives, that can indeed be true. Author Carla Kincannon wrote, Creativity is so much more than art making. It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit 
Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.